Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. China is going to eat our lunch? Come on, man. They can't even figure out how to deal with the, 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 the fact that they have this great division between the China Sea and the mountains in the east, I mean in the west. They can't figure out how they're going to deal with the corruption that exists within the system. I mean, I, you know, they're not bad folks, folks, but guess what? They're not a they're, they're not, they're competition for us. I could get hung up on that astounding mishmash of half-formed thoughts from a couple of years ago, but I won't. It's a nice little introduction to the topic of China, the U.S., our relationship, etc. And to discuss that, who could be better than Josh Rogan, global opinions columnist with the Washington Post, author of Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, Xi, and the Battle for the 21st Century. Uh, Josh, how are you? Uh, Great, Joe. Great to be back with you. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's always uh, terrific when we get a chance to talk to you. Hey, uh, before we get into some of the Biden administration uh, versus China stuff that you've been writing about uh, lately, what are your impressions of how the Olympics have unfolded thus far going into them? Jack and I were discussing, is this going to glorify China and, and uh, you know, in the way the 1936 Olympics really bought Hitler time. Um, is she going to get what he wants out of these Olympics, or will it more focus on the horrors and evil of China? What's your impression so far? Well, I don't know about you, but what I've seen is a lot of actually good coverage, not by NBC particularly, of the fact that China is becoming a genocidal police state that operates like a mafia organization and is trying to silence everyone both in China and around the world, right? Xi Jinping thought this was going to be his best, you know, world stage. He thought this was going to be the chance for him to burnish China's image. And from what I can tell, all he's done is piss off countries all over the world. There was the thing with the Indian, uh, 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 do you remember the Indian uh, uh, diplomatic team? withdrew the day before because they actually put a Indian uh, a Chinese military officer who killed Indians into the torch ceremony. Oh then they my put gosh. a Uyghur. To look, you know, they pissed off India just for no reason the day before the Olympics. Then they had a Uyghur light the torch at the opening ceremony, and everybody was like, wow, that's really messed up. That's a that's just a, like, a sociopathic thing to do, you know? And then there was the Peng Shui mysterious interview where she pops out in the middle of the uh, first week of the Olympics, and everyone's like, oh, wait, she's in a lot of trouble. This is really creepy. And one by one by one, China's effort to sort of show their best, put their best foot forward, backfired, in my opinion. I don't know if, is that, if that's how everyone else saw it, but to me it seems like a total disaster for the Chinese Communist Party uh, because this is their best behavior. This is when they're trying to show us that they're not a horrible you know, human rights abuser, and every single step of the way, they just seem to be reinforcing that view. Well, and their snow sucks, according to uh, everybody <laughs> participating in the Olympics, so there's right. that. And their treatment of the Olympic athletes, and they're threatening oh, them, yeah. they're making them download an app that monitors all of their speech, and then, you know, forget about like the fact that they put the the some of the events in the middle of what looks like a dystopian nuclear wasteland, <laughs> you know, and in the lockdowns and the repression and the silencing of all the journalists and the 
threatening of all the dissidents. I mean, it's a pretty ugly picture. I think that at least that's what I see. I don't know about it, but. Uh, yeah, we've been rooting for it to be as ugly as possible just because the, to whatever extent Americans and people around the world can recognize the evil and the power of the Chinese regime, uh, all the better for humanity. I just I was curious to hear your take because, you know, we've been rooting so fervently for that. I didn't want to, you know, assume that my well, wishes I, were being the father of my thoughts. Uh, not, you know, not to completely, you know, spoil uh, your enjoyment, but it does seem that the, co- the actual corporations don't actually give a crap one way or the other. Oh, no. And none of the sponsors have done anything to stand up for human rights. The International Olympic Committee helped the Chinese Communist Party make a hostage video with Peng Shui, and then they, you know, refused to even meet with the human rights groups. You know, I've been dealing with a lot of these Tibetan groups, Uyghur groups, Hong Kongers, Taiwanese, a lot of Chinese dissident groups. And they say that big corporations won't even give them the time of day. So I think there's an awakening in the public space, right? And mm-hmm. regular, ordinary people realize we got a problem here. But for right now, the, the, the lure of the Chinese market is still forcing all these corporations, especially American corporations, to shut up and self-center. And that's like sort of the other side of that coin. Josh Rogan of the Washington Post is on the line. Josh, uh, I wish I could remember who wrote the piece. I read it uh, over the weekend. It, it was going through some of the challenges that uh, the Chinese communists are going to face going forward, and Xi Jinping specifically, uh, as he tries to re-communize China. Turns out the guy's an actual communist. And that combined, because that's going to choke off the engine of the Chinese rise uh, to the extent that he gets it to go forward. You combine that with uh, demographic problems, with, uh, you know, some dissident problems, a, a, a ceasing of the rapid rise of standards of living in China, um, and that he really faces some serious headwinds in the next five, ten years. Uh, I realize it's tough to see inside the Chinese Communist Party, but uh, do you agree with that, or, or do you think he's pretty solid at this point yeah no i i I think that's right i think 2022 is going to be a very tough year for xi jinping if you think about it because he's going to get his coronation uh to be to get his third term to make himself the emperor to make himself the czar at the end of the year it comes in november at the party conference so he really can't afford to mess up from now until november so he is in a tough spot for this immediate near term. Now, the biggest problem he has is that he's got the zero COVID policy, which seemed like a good idea with Delta, but is actually a terrible idea when it comes to Omicron because they can't open up their economy. So how are they supposed to recover if everyone's locked down forever because they they don't want even one case of COVID, which is insane. And then if he opens up, he's going to have a billion people who are going to get Omicron in two weeks. That's also going to be a problem. Uh, So he's got a lot of troubles but what that says to me is that he's actually even more dangerous because he's actually got more incentive to do something you know to consolidate power to crack down on his rivals to murder anyone who stands in his way and of course that's what he's been doing so let's talk a little bit about uh, the biden administration their china policy i don't want to label you as anything you're a journalist and a writer we can fairly be uh, labeled uh, pretty hardcore china hawks uh, around here and we tend to agree with you a lot um i've been reasonably impressed with the biden administration's stance toward china what do you think about that yeah no i mean i've been called a hawk i i, I think i'm a realist but i guess everyone thinks they're a realist right i mean the bottom line is I believe that the Chinese Communist Party is increasingly aggressive and repressive and expansionist and interfering in our free and open societies, and we need to do more. That's my view. That's what I wrote my book about, right? We need to do more to confront this problem that we all have. And, you know, the Biden team came in, and the people who are actually working on this agree with that. That's, the, that's what I wrote yesterday in the Washington Post, that there's a team of 
people inside the Biden administration who agree with that, that we need to do more. They don't they don't like to be called Trump light or whatever name you want to put on it. But the fact is that they agree that the China problem is getting worse. Okay, the problem is they don't run everything and they don't run like the West Wing and they don't run the Treasury Department. They don't run the Commerce Department. And it's too slow. So I feel like it's like a. You know, Trump actually did something really good that he doesn't get credit for, which is he changed our approach to China in a fundamental way. And that Biden administration agrees with that. They looked at the same set of facts and came to the same set of conclusions. So they're keeping that direction. They're just going too slow. So uh, final question, and you can go on as long as you like on this topic, because uh, as I was boring friends to death at uh, dinner the other night, I said the story of the next 50 years is the United States of America heroin addict, if you will, giving up the China habit commercially, our corporations, our economy, our cheap underwear at Walmart, etc. Because unless there's a serious change in Chinese leadership and culture, which I think is highly unlikely, we are going to slowly realize that we are in we are enslaved to a brutal, cruel drug dealer. Now, if you accept that metaphor at all, are we at the, like, I gotta stop doing drugs state? Are we uh, starting our rehab? Are we are we barely even aware we have a problem? Where are we? You know, that's an interesting frame there, Joe. You know, I like to think the Chinese... I like to think of the Chinese Communist Party as a mafia organization, okay, because it operates like one. It's basically a big extortion ring. If they go around the world and they say to countries, hey, nice country you got there, it would be a shame if something happened to it, okay, pay up. And that's what they do, and they do that inside China too. Now, the, what we are is we are the mafia organizations, lawyers and financiers and accountants and business partners, and we are pumping money and technology and know-how into this system, which they are, of course, using to advance their criminal enterprise, which in the end is aimed at us, which in the end means us harm. Okay, And in 1972, when the idea was that China could be part of our system, and if we just gave them all the money and took all their money and integrated them as much as possible, that they would be like us, that they would turn into us. That was the idea in 1972. In 2022, that doesn't make any sense. We just have to see them for what they are. It doesn't mean we have to go to war. doesn't mean we have to decouple all the way. But we have to realize that we're dealing with a criminal organization. It's like if the Gambinos you know, ran a country and it was the richest country in the world. That's what it is. So what that says to me is that we have to treat it like a law enforcement problem, which means we have to punish the people who are helping the drug dealers, okay? The drug dealers' lawyers, the drug dealers' accountants, and they are dealing drugs because they are actually sending tons of fentanyl into our country. Right, so that's yeah. just one of the problems, right? More broadly, we just have to stop helping our adversary build the machine that's pointed at us because it's crazy, okay? And the, re- the reason that Americans are doing that is because they're getting paid on both sides of the Pacific. So until we change those incentives, we're not going to change our corporations and our Wall Street firms and our schools and our Hollywood theaters We're all seeing it as better for them to work with our enemy instead of protecting us from our enemy. And that's the big change that has to happen. Right. And and you have a better metaphor than I do. Uh, I love the mob metaphor because they don't just want to sell drugs. They want to own everything. They want to own all the businesses and own all the towns and own all the people. Uh, You know, final thought and uh, reading your stuff and Michael Pillsbury's 100 year marathon and stuff like I've been I've become aware of. And this is an illustration of how dopey and naive Americans can be from 1972 to recently. Um, that deception is 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 celebrated in China. 
fooling your adversary into thinking you're not an adversary, feigning weakness, feigning friendship, those are not seen as despicable. They're they're enshrined in some of the greatest values in Chinese society, the 36 strategies, which is an ancient text and the rest of it. Um, who knew? You know, Joe, I don't think any one culture or any one society has the 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 cornerstone on deception you know what i mean i think it's part of diplomacy it's part and i, I wouldn't want to single out chinese society as being responsible because again you wouldn't blame the chinese pe- the italian people for the mafia right so you wouldn't blame the chinese people for the ccp right the ccp is a unique thing and it's not really about chinese culture it's not really about the chinese nation it's about this party which is a criminal organization in and of itself and that's the problem and you know we have to focus on that okay and you Mm. know what i say to that is like yeah of course they don't want us to focus on that that's what that's how they're different from putin putin wants everyone to focus on putin xi jinping wants everyone to focus on anything but xi jinping because in order for them to build the machine that's pointed at us we need to be looking the other way so that's that is of course a form of deception but i don't blame china i blame the ccp yeah, and fair enough, and and it's funny because I don't see it in moral terms. I see it in strategic terms, um, and and if it came off as like a moral judgment, I didn't mean it that way because I'm just aware of negotiating styles across different cultures are very different. Um, if you are negotiating with uh, somebody from Iran, say a Persian uh, person, as sometimes they refer to themselves, they have a different view of uh, honesty and, and uh, call it cleverness than some other cultures do. But I'm afraid we're crazy up against a break. Josh Rogan of the Washington Post. Josh, it's always stimulating. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Never going anytime. And I hope we can talk again soon. Josh, the author of Chaos Under Heaven, Trump She and the Battle for the 21st Century. Great book. Gotta take a break. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We'll be talking to military analyst Mike Lyons in just a few minutes about the situation uh, in Ukraine. The situation is surrounded, among other things. But first, please welcome special guest, the co-host of the Armstrong and Getty Show, Jack Armstrong. Jack, what are you up to? I see that I got dumped into the the, the bad guest slot. We'll try the, to have Jack Armstrong back as soon as possible, but we're out of time. They're the only couple of minutes. I know how booking works. You put the bad guests. <laughs> in the tiny slots so they can do the least damage possible. Right. You're a stupid Patrick. You're a juggler. You're <laughs> yeah. a guy with long fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah. Or a, a diet book of some sort. <laughs> exactly. Um, here's my message. Hey, Rams fans, relax. You won a home game by three points. Big freaking deal. Oh, wow. Wait, wait. Bring in the hate? What is that all about? Calm down. You won a home game by a field goal. <laughs> stop burning buses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, stop burning buses. Yeah, it was a pretty good game. And, and apparently, and apparently, all the reps were going to get tickets to sit in the front row at the Lakers game. I don't have any particular wow. anti-ref smack now. Yeah, I don't have. This any is why you're in this slot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, what? So this was this was sort of what we were afraid would happen with the mask. They would decide. To, we have two minutes. Michael just said, yes. "Holy freaking cow! Why did I even get up?" <laughs> um, That's what I ask myself every morning. So, 
so the worst case scenario with the mask thing is they ignored it. So triple, triple mandated stadium, county, and state ignored it completely, and the kids are still going to go to school in masks, and everybody's just going to say nothing. Like, there's nothing incongruous here. There's nothing weird about this. Nope. Nope. Four-year-olds in ill-fitting cloth, cloth masks will still be forced to try desperately to learn anything while not recognizing their friends. I don't, I don't even know how to react to that. I don't even know how to react to the fact that the media is not reacting to that. How do you ignore that? I know. I know it's enough to make you insane. Oh, oh my God. Every school should be organizing a mask boycott. Hey, if every damn human being at the Super Bowl can go without a mask, my kid's not going to wear a mask. What the hell? Including the mayor. Right, right. The mayor just ignores it, just ignored it, because he knew he would look like an idiot if he wore a mask. That's so, why he didn't wear one, You know, he looked I've, like an idiot. I've, I've related it to people wearing a red hat because they think it protects them from disease. It's a useless, like, weird cultish gesture. But you ask all the cultists now, and they're all saying, oh, no, no, I don't think the red hat actually protects me. It's just kind of what we do. And marching little kids with all the with, with masks on, with all the harm that does, is now part of that the whole cult ritual. Even though the cultists themselves know it doesn't work. Well, maybe I'll see if you've got any time to talk to me later in the show, and I'll call back. I don't know. We'll have you back as soon as we can, Jack Armstrong. Thanks for coming by. If you miss a chunk of the show, grab it via podcast ArmstrongandGetty.com or wherever you like to download podcasts. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Russia now has 80% of the forces it would need uh, to conduct an all-out invasion, and the rest are on their way. Some of those uh, troops that we have seen uh, parked bumper-to-bumper in those assembly areas and satellite photos, Mm -hmm. they're starting to move out of those assembly areas a little closer to the border, but not yet into what you would call an attack position. That is uh, David Martin on uh, Face the Nation yesterday, talking about the situation in Ukraine slash Russia. To discuss that and, uh, by extension, other issues down the road, perhaps, please welcome Mike Lyons, military analyst. Mike served with various military military organizations in both the U.S. and Europe throughout his career, decorated with the Bronze Star, among other things. Mike, how are you, sir? Hey, Joe, great to be back with you. Uh, on a lighter note, first of all, our executive producer, Mike Hansen, informs me that he bothered you in the midst of the Super Bowl yesterday as you were attempting to enjoy that great national holiday. I apologize for that. <laughs> no, no problem. No, no problem. I'm always on. I'm always available for you guys, of course. No Thank you. And that's what a worker he is, too. He's amazing. Anyway, so uh, I, I saw the latest headlines over the weekend were that a number of nations were evacuating embassy personnel, yeah. civilians, that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, on what basis they make those decisions, but the number, the sheer number of countries doing that was pretty ominous. It is, and we're all trying to look for the historical analogy at this point. You know, is it 1914 before first, you know, the First World War? Is it uh, appeasement to take place in 1938 with Munich and 
the British, is it Independence Day where, you know, the spaceships are all kind of lining up and everyone's trying to get out of the cities before something happens. And so I, I think that they're going to give diplomacy one more chance. You saw that the Ukraine minister is going to look to talk to Russia with this uh, now potential promise of not joining NATO. But that's really not a, a anything that, that's tangible whatsoever, because the, the bottom line is to get Ukraine and NATO it would take 100 um, percent agreement of all other NATO countries right now. And, and Turkey wouldn't agree with it. And neither would Germany and neither would a bunch of other nations. So that that really is a fait accompli. And that's so I, I don't think that Russia is going to take that seriously. They want more. They're going to want um, maybe a new missile defense treaty. There's a lot more things that Vladimir Putin wants uh, or else he likely launches um, a, a kind of combat on the, on the, on the continent. We have seen since the second world war you know what i don't have a grasp on at all is whether putin is sincerely seeking uh security uh concessions of the sort you just described um mm-hmm. or whether this all is a pretext for snatching up land that he considers rightfully part of the great restored soviet empire or or does he have both options uh, to him and then he's neither one nor the other necessarily yeah, no, I, I think it's more of the second. He does want to take this land back. You know, he's got a finite life, shelf life himself. He, he, he sees Russian greatness, and he's trying to project Russia into the future. That's really what, from his perspective, what this is about. And the only way that a country does that is by taking over resources. I think I think he's got to be faced with the decision of taking Crimea, uh, taking already taking Crimea, taking Ukraine, and possibly destroying things that he's going to want to use in the future. But to your point, you know, he gets Ukraine. He, he has influence over Belarus. What's not to say he's going to want to encroach in potentially the northern countries and Latvia still, the NATO countries now? How how's that going to go? So I think that that's why this appeasement argument is out there because people say, well, if we given out of this, uh, then he'll just look to do that in the future. But, it, it, you know, he's got to look forward in a, a country that's dying. Fundamentally, Russia is going in the wrong direction, and I think he recognizes that, and this is the way he thinks he can reverse that. Well, I, yeah, I guess what I'm asking is, um, are the international diplomats trying desperately to, to talk sense to Sergei Lavrov and all the Russians? Are they just Neville, Neville Chamberlain going to Hitler, and there was never anything that was going to appease Hitler. He had a specific plan. Uh, do you think Putin's still weighing options, or would you guess he has a specific plan? No, I think he has a plan, and that's a, okay. the, the point about Neville Chamberlain going and, and to Hitler was, you know, I watch historians now try to say, well, actually, that wasn't that bad because it bought the U.K. another year or so to get ready for the war that's coming. I, I, again, I shake my head saying that's not what's happening here. Ukraine's not getting any further ready for war. Um, I, I have to wonder what... what the military is doing right now. They're obviously on high alert. They, they're, they're going to be undermanned. They're going to be underwhelmed by the technology that, uh, that they have compared to what the Russians have. On the other side, I wonder what the Russian soldiers thinking on their side of the border. Do they know when they're coming? Are they sitting? Did they get the order and they were told to pause? I've been in that situation before. Uh, but I do. I don't think that. I think. I think Putin clearly has a strategic plan. He's always been one of those kinds of thinkers over over the horizon, making sure he has uh, something in play. And I believe that um, in this case, uh, he'll play that out. Military analyst Mike Lyons uh, on the line. Mike, we don't, we civilians don't really have a sense of of how great Russia's superiority is over the Ukrainian forces. We're told that they're they're pretty well trained. A lot of a lot of them are battle hardened. The Ukrainians uh, reasonably well equipped. Equipped is it like two to one, five to one, ten to one? Uh, it's, it's you know you to compare both militaries it's more like seven or eight to one it's very high but but the issue is what they've got amassed on the border and what they're up against and what Russia does have is success in the military I think that's been understated here um, Russian military units have been deployed to Syria for the past ten years working that civil war 
So they're going to be somewhat battle tested themselves. And the Ukrainians, no, they've got within their culture, they're embedded to fight and, 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 the, and the like. And, and you've got people now and looking to try to create this model of, well, let's let them in and then we'll have this counterinsurgency that takes place. I, you just, Russia won't play with that. I, I don't think that's going to be an issue at all. Russia is going to look to destroy the Ukraine military. There's going to be significant you know, artillery, missiles, all kinds of indirect fire against their military targets looking to destroy their military before it gets out of the motor pool and um it's, it's going to be unfortunate if you're if you're wearing a ukraine uniform or you're you've got a gun in your hand uh, walking around ukraine you're going to be a target for the russian military and you're out you're outnumbering the russian military outnumbers them on the ground right now three to one four to one Wow. Wow. Uh, so finally, we uh, Americans tend to fixate on one story at a time. Are there any other hot spots around the globe that you have uh, special interest in that have really grabbed your attention? I'm always looking at the Middle East. I got my son deployed there, so I've got a little, you know, my, my eyes there as well with what's going on with the missile, uh, with the um, Iranian missile deal, or I'm sorry, the nuclear deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, from a military perspective, though, we continue to project power, and I think, um, you know, this is going to give us an opportunity to, if we do this properly, to, to really think about if they do decide to go in Ukraine, what what are we going to do? We got to start protecting our our assets that uh, are in space. If we're going to help the Ukraine military, which is what we would do now, let's see if that they do roll tanks. Um, we've got some um, ground surveillance radars and things that we could possibly help them with intelligence and information. Um, I do, I do think that next fifth dimension will take place in outer space, and there'll be there'll be combat up there at some point. And the question is, you know, perhaps this is, this is the precursor to that. And if we can, you know, protect those assets there, I think we'll be okay. You know, that's a topic we ought to pursue on another day. Absolutely interesting, and the idea that. Uh, the previous administration, we'll leave the T-word out of it, but the previous mm-hmm. administration's uh, solidifying and starting up the Space Force, the fact that that was mocked and laughed right. at is yeah. is just, it's a measure of how stupid we can be, I think. No, no, no question. And that's exactly where the next battle takes place. Cyber uh, oversees all of that, especially in space as well. We can, we're concerned about these countries that have nuclear capability. We've talked about before, you can't you know, have a nuke and you have to be able to deliver a nuke. You need a space force in order to get it uh, across the, the continents. Um, I do think that, right, and we've got so much intel collection assets up there right now. What if, uh, what if China decides to knock some of those things out right now in precursor to this invasion in Ukraine? Uh, that, that can already be starting in some ways, and we've got to figure out a way how we're going to protect that. Wow, wow. Mike Lyons, military analyst. Mike, thanks a million. Good to talk to you. We appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. All right, absolutely. Wow, the idea that uh, the next front in warfare is blowing each other's satellites out of the sky, and then I would imagine aggressively launching dozens, hundreds, thousands more satellites up into the sky so our eyes and ears uh, continue to function up there because I know that's that's an enormous part uh, part of American military capability is uh, a communications and uh, and that's that's a great field in itself if you ever want to get truly wonky about the communication systems we're trying to design so that if they knock out a we go to B if they knock out B we go to C and and just always have a certain amount of reasonable command and control but the idea that um, that all of that is now vulnerable in a way that it hasn't been in generations. I mean, whew, that'll get your attention. All right, complete change of uh, topic coming up in the next segment. We have so much to talk about, um, whether some of the Olympics. Did you know that that there are, is it 11? I think there were 11 American hockey players playing for China. 
Americans and Canadians, I think. I'll verify those numbers, but I had no idea. We're all fixated on that, uh, you know, hot model skiing gal who defected to the Chinese team. Hell, half their hockey program's Americans. What's going on there? That much more to come. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. A toilet? We're not animals. We go outside like humans. Hancock. No king. The people shall have the right to vote. Even the stupid ones? Yeah. Nobody's going to the moon ever. Why not? It's far. It's too far. It's far. Like I was saying, it's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. A fairly amusing Larry David cryptocurrency ad uh, yesterday, um, last night, Super Bowl. Uh, it was pretty funny. Uh, it was kind of visual, but he... Re- I can't remember how many crypto ads there were total, but quite a few. Uh, do we have our special guest, Michael, or is that uh, not, uh, we not occurred yet? Oh, we do. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back. He was so great in his last slot. We've asked him back again, the co-host, Jack Armstrong. <laughs> so what was your setting for Super Bowl? I was at a party. I was at a rather large festive party. It was very difficult to hear anything, including the commercials. So I had to you know, check them out uh, this morning and eh, eh, fine. Eating, drinking, etc. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a bit of both. So I was, uh, my son and I are skiing. That's where I am today. And um, I was on the road for the first time. I think it's the only time in my life I haven't been in front of a TV when the Super Bowl's on in my entire life. And I remember as a kid often thinking, I wonder if there's anybody on the roads right now or in the mall or anything like that. And um, while there were some people out and about, the roads were unbelievably empty. I was, I was expecting there to be more people out and about than there were. The, I, for a Sunday afternoon with the traffic the way it is where I live, it's amazing how few cars were on the road. So we drove. Yeah, that's and, interesting. Uh, with, I can't. I can't think the last time I wasn't watching the Super Bowl. Yeah, in my whole life, in my entire life, it, I don't think this is the only time I've ever been out and about. But um, we, with you know modern technology, I just brought up the uh, the broadcast on YouTube TV on my phone and set it in the cup holder, and my son kind of watched. He doesn't give a crap about football at all. But uh, he was really excited about the halftime show. So what, what has been your uh, reaction to the reaction of the halftime show, the geriatric hip-hop halftime show? People my yeah. age doing their hip-hop classics. Well, right. It's, uh, it depends entirely who you ask. I, all I ask is quick grabbing at your crank. You know, lip sync to your 30-year-old hip-hop classics. If people groove to that, if they think hip-hop finally gets its due, they like it, that's fine. Just quit grabbing your crank, uh, uh, Snoop Dogg. Does he have the clap or what? Does he have a, a jock itch issue? Just stop it. It's a thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot. Uh, yeah, a number of the songs were 30 years old. So, like, when we were younger and they would have the freaking Beach Boys on or something, it was, they, right. they were doing the same thing. A thirty-year-old hits for the older crowd that spends money, I guess. But if you could, if you could go back and talk to a twenty-year-old Dre, 
and tell him that, you know, when you're 50-something, you're going to be the Super Bowl halftime show mentioning NWA, he would think, I can't imagine a scenario where that is going to happen. Because, like, I, I grew up in rural Midwest, so I missed the whole NWA thing. It wasn't on my radar at all. I was completely unaware of it happening. But, you know, I watched the movie. I'm, I'm aware of how incredibly controversial it was. On so many levels, you know, in our government, in pop culture and everything like that at the time. And now he's mentioning it during the Super Bowl halftime, you know, as sponsored by Pepsi. It's just, it's really quite head spinning. Yeah, that is something. It's, there's, a, there's an old expression about that. Every revolutionary becomes a something or other. Um, I, I can't remember exactly how it goes. Uh, the Clash had a yeah, lyric yeah. about, uh, you know... Uh, Y'all end up making payments on a sofa anyway. <laughs> yeah, so. it is It is something like that, because the most edgy art, you know, practically of the last 30 years was selling Pepsi and Verizon Wireless yesterday. That's how it changed over 30 years. What is controversial now that in 30 years will be a Super Bowl halftime? I don't know, but. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I I don't know. Whatever you know, whatever whatever sells the most Pepsi, I suppose. And you know, I I didn't like it. I had no use for it, but it wasn't for I me. It. And I and I, I picture it. I like Eminem. I like that song. That I was digging it. Yeah, it's just what's the point though? He's up there lip syncing it, and who cares? I don't. I just I don't know. Well, On the other the, hand, in the I'm context. A t- wait a second. You got to put it in the context of a Super Bowl halftime show. Outside of that context, no, there, there's right. no use for it whatsoever. <laughs> well, there's no use for a Super Bowl halftime show, as far as I'm right. concerned. No, it's just become moot. If you're going to take it out of the context of the Super Bowl halftime show, if I wanted to hear Eminem do that song, I would watch the original video or him doing it when he was 25. Yeah, right, right. But what I was uh, leading up to is saying that uh, uh, you know, if I'm a 20 year old black man, I'm looking at Paul McCartney up there. You know, in his 70s, warbling, you know, ancient Beatles hits and thinking, this ain't for me. So, you know, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, do, do whatever you want. We got one email from somebody. They, they said, I've got a new uh, tradition, a new Super Bowl tradition. I vacuum my house during the halftime and then come back and, and watch the second half. So, you know, if it's not for we you, go do something else. We've often wondered, is it for the people in the stands? Because a lot of people have spent a lot of money expecting, you know, to be entertained. Maybe maybe that's it. We're just along for the ride, uh, the viewers at home. Well, yeah. Well, honestly, I don't. Th- I think it's the opposite, really, because, you know, half the stadium can't see what's happening because they're screened by the set or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just I also think that it's they're desperately trying to hold on to something that we're clearly at the tail end of its significance. The Super yeah, Bowl well, halftime show. Oh, my God. To the chance to see The Who live. Oh, my God. They, they don't have to come to my town. I can watch them on TV, has said nobody for the last you know, 25 years. Yeah, and we, and we have been saying for years, have dogs catching Frisbee? Frisbees yes. are, are the best college marching band in the country or, or, or something. Uh, that'd, be, that'd be more fun. Yeah, boxing exhibitions or animal fights. That's it. Bum fighting. Bum bum, bum fighting. Probably not that. Former NFL star Michael Vick. Oh, Lord. No, that's disgusting. I said it because it was so horrible and outrageous. Clearly designed to be dark humor. 
Didn't mean a word of it. Let's all move along with our lives. Oh, hey, do you uh, want to get your son another... interested in the game in the future? Get him in one of those pools where you, you kick in money and you get a square on the grid. Uh-huh. And if the score comes up your way, I won the first quarter. Ooh, nice. But everybody, it, with the exception of like two or three hardcore fans, everybody became totally fixated on the grid. And we're, okay, all right, come on, Rams. Kick two field goals. And then oh, really? Cincinnati kick one field goal. I mean, that's all you know, anybody that's was it. rooting for. That's Goodhart's law. When a when a measure becomes a goal, it ceases to be a good measure. That's exactly what happened right there. Look it up. Um, wow. <laughs> so I I I basically rolled into the end of a Super Bowl party, which is when it's at its ugliest. So we we <laughs> drove through the whole Super Bowl, and then I get to this pizza play rest pizza place restaurant at a ski lodge in the last five minutes of the quarter. Right, so the game is down to the nitty gritty, and these Oof. people have been here. They skied all day long, probably drinking, then got to this pizza place and were drinking, and everybody was just freaking hammered out of their mind. You couldn't understand what they were even yelling. And we were we were standing around a TV shoulder to shoulder trying to see the last couple of minutes waiting for our pizza. But it was a, it was a disgusting display. It was a, oh, wow. women with mascara running down their face, and uh, it was it was ugly. harlots. Yeah, well, and 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 your son couldn't even see kind of the gradual rising right. to that level. He just walked right. in. It's already at its its worst. Yeah. It was shocking to me, a hardened veteran of this sort of thing. It just, I'm sure at the beginning this was all kind of acute and, uh, and everything like that. It's just ugly now. I could have become encumbered if I had wanted to become encumbered, but it didn't seem like a, a good idea. Oh, yeah, controversial. Uh, well, good to talk to you. Go ski with your son. We need to uh, take a break. we got a big hour next hour with Lon He Chen and all sorts of good stuff to talk about. If, you, if you're not able to tune in, just grab it via podcast later, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.